Hey, how you doing? What's up, dude? <laughs> how do I look? How do I sound? Background's great. Audio's great. Good. Yeah. Good to see you, man. <laughs> so, little uh, oh. politics unraveled part do. Yeah. I was figuring insurrection episode (laughs) insurrection or terrorism or what do what do we call it conspiracy you know um, man it has been a fascinating year Uh, this this past year on into 2021 but um, you know, I know that you spoke on um, the local news recently. Um, what was that? One of the Little Rock stations, I believe it was, Channel 5. Yep. And uh, what can you give us kind of a play-by-play of, of kind of what you talked about on there just to kind of get the ball rolling? Um, so this was in response to the, <laughs> the capital incursion. Um, I guess that was uh, January 6th, if I've got my dates right. Um, I started off by talking about when you study American politics, there have been, we love a good protest. Um, There's always protests in Washington, D.C. There's always protests in what they call the mall between um, the Washington Monument and the Capitol building. And all those things are right there amongst one another. Um, there's even been violent protests. Like the example I used was the Democratic Convention of 1968. Yes, you got the they've you know I think and I was I it was uh, I'll give the network credit. They pulled images and they showed you know paddy wagons lined up and dragon protesters. What made this unique is that effectively Congress meeting to certify the election is the very last step. It's ceremony. It's pomp and circumstance. It's not all that. It really honestly doesn't have anything to do. They show up. They give. The, they do that weird little, you know, I've, these ballots appear to be authentic and things like that, and they certify the election. Um, but there was a rally planned for the morning. Um that rally the president spoke at um attendees of said rally went down surrounded the capitol building eventually broke through barricades stormed the building all kinds of lawlessness and stuff and um Delayed the proceedings. I think about, if I remember, it was about nine or nine thirty hour time in in here in Arkansas. They got the process going again, um, and I think it was about three a.m. Arkansas time. They officially declared um, Joe Biden the president elect, the next president of the United States. So that was that's the the short of it. So, and, you know, let me just uh, inquire about this. So I've been seeing some different narratives out there, right? So, for example, we'll talk about this just relative to people that don't know outside of, you know, me 
being a student in your political science class growing up in college, we also trained jujitsu together. Um, and you uh, help teach martial arts classes at, at the gym and stuff. But um, are you familiar with Pat Militich? I think I should be. I don't know why. M Militich fighting systems. Um, I want to say he's even been on Joe Rogan and he's also a Freemason, which is not, um, but he's been on some different um, podcasts. He's the commentator for Legacy. Okay. Right. So Cora had that fight on Legacy that one time. Yeah, I didn't uh, follow Joe Rogan to Spotify. Me if either. he had some, yeah, if he had somebody cool on uh, when he was on YouTube, I'd See, watch that. I believe he was on YouTube, but um, I'm, I could be recalling wrong. But that's it's real. Okay, so he was photographed at this rally that you're talking about in the morning. Mm -hmm. And then he was released from his job as a promoter because the photos started circulating online. Mm -hmm. But then he shared photos of this rally and was like, no violence here, you know, but it's like, we saw otherwise. Um, yeah. With primary video footage. So there, I guess there are some, are some conservatives that were maybe at this rally that are spinning this other narrative. Do you know anything about alternate narratives around this event? I, I oh, don't. Yes. I've, I've caught bits and pieces. There are, this is what's going to be tricky for law enforcement. We know more than a thousand people entered that building. There are some who went there with criminal intent to kill people. You know, if you see these pictures, there's some dude, he's in full tactical gear. He's got like flex cuffs, like the whole nine yards. And, he, you know, he's carrying firearms. And those individuals, you know, somebody has been arrested. Somebody has quoted, I went there to kill Democratic senators to prevent this election. Now, here's the trouble. That's one guy in more than a thousand. Um, and that's why... You know, you hear this event called a riot. There is some truth to that. Um, you know, riots sweep people up in them in the moment all the time. Um, but when you've got people breaking into offices, when you've got people trying to steal property, um, and even better, this is like some of these are some of the dumbest criminals ever. Let's photograph me sitting at Nancy Pelosi's desk. Yeah, congratulations when you're doing um, when you're never back in Arkansas because you're in a federal penitentiary. Have fun with that. Let's point out also, did you see Woods's um, social media post early this morning? Yes, the uh, Conway gentleman who was yeah. arrested. A lot of this, that's where it, part of it is. It'll be interesting to see these people. Welcome to the surveillance society, you know. It's not like your commentator, if all his pictures are him outside, he should be fine. If his pictures are inside the Capitol building, he has. Which, yeah, yeah, which they're not. No, but if you want, if you want a really good example of this, um, there's a YouTube channel called Legal Eagle. Um, he's a DC lawyer. He talks about the law and the constitution and stuff. He's been doing these little quick hit videos lately. Um, and he's talking about like some of their defense attorneys are getting up there and it's like, um, and he kind of like makes fun of them because, um, the one he was talking about was, um, the gentleman who was shirtless with the Viking helmet and the face paint, 
his lawyer is on the courthouse steps, you know, saying, you know, putting out a statement. He's like, this is the dumbest thing you could ever do. Um, you're admitting in public as, and thing, this can be used as evidence against you that your client illegally entered a federal building. And he's like, never, you know, any good defense attorney would say no comment and keep walking. Um, but I think what's going to happen with the commentators and everybody is, you know, there's so much photographic evidence, there's security cameras, they are going to piece together where you were. Um, and I think there will be some differentiation between people who got swept up in a moment and those select few who really came with a violent agenda. Um, and I think that's what's good. That's what are a lot of this, uh, the challenge for like law enforcement is going to be And this. It's not going to happen instantly. And this might be something over the next six months. Oh yeah, uh, I'm sure they're working overtime uh, sorting through all this. Um, so <clears throat> we've got soldiers sleeping in the Capitol, in taking the breaks building. in the Capitol. Yeah, but um, I caught that they put out. They've basically upped the armed security. The inauguration. I think there's twenty thousand National Guardsmen. Um, they've activated, we got an email today, they've activated some of our students. Um, they're going to Little Rock, they're going to police, they're going to reinforce the Arkansas governor's mansion, um, the Arkansas legislature, and some of them are going to support actions in Washington, D.C. for the inauguration. Wow. Because they're not going to make the same mistake twice. Um, but other things, like I know... Um, Airbnb canceled every reservation in the greater DC area for like two days before and two days after the inauguration. Yeah. So yeah, it's bizarre as to how far, how far this has gone and um, how far, how quickly and how violent. What is the date of the inauguration? The Wednesday, the 20th, I do believe if I am not mistaken. What are your concerns about that event? If if this if something like this happened and just certifying election results, right? Mm -hmm. um, like what you're saying, just sort of ceremonious thing that happens every time. I mean, and it's speculation purely, but I mean, what there's obviously cause for concern about the inauguration. But yes. uh, but what kind of um, what kind of concern should we be having about that? I mean, it's. I don't even think we should be doing it. <laughs> you know, like, well, you're in there, man. We'll do this later. In practical purposes, you don't need a big, you don't need a big public inauguration. Um, Lyndon Johnson, I think, was inaugurated on Air Force One. Yeah. You know, just a quick Bible, swear a Supreme Court justice, and boom, you're the president. Um, given the circumstances, and oh, and oh, by the way, an ongoing pandemic probably would be a good way to go. I think the dangers at the inauguration have now been tampered down because of the slamming of the door of social media and especially social media that caters to um, more radical conservative ideas. Um, you know, particularly parlor is the one I've, you know, you've heard about. Um, you know, you've had my American government. There is limits to free speech. 
free speech in the on the internet is a new completely new area it is less defined but if you are talking about committing violent acts against the sitting government you don't you know it's called sedition speech it's one of the few speeches um that's really sort of clearly agreed upon um where you don't really have the rights to say that you know so i think closing you know parlor realizing that um when amazon hosts all your servers and you violate their terms of agreement you know um but you've seen you know president trump has been banned from twitter he's been banned from facebook um youtube shut his channel down for like a month at least so i think in general it's a lot of the tools that could make this worse have been cut off. Um, there, there's still going to be challenges and problems, but I think it's better than um, it might have been. Do you do you agree with those channels being turned off? I mean, a lot of people are really raising hell about censorship right now. And for for example, not not necessarily related, but the crazy Viking head guy, which was so great. <laughs> But um, there's this video of him and he's like, because I am a shaman, I can see into the other dimensions where the pedophiles live. And, and he was saying crazy stuff. And, and I shared it and I was like, you know, look at this guy, he's a wook. You know, I was like making a joke about people like that. I see at concert fest- concerts and festivals, but that video got taken down, you know? And um. I uh, I do get some some of people's concern about the, the 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 amount of censorship. It's just it's a bunch. There's a bunch of stuff going on all at once. I, I agree with most of it personally, it, you know. But uh, I do I have also had some concerns. So what are your thoughts on that? Well, again, this is the a lot of U.S. free speech law, as I understand it, is written for like the newspaper and television age. Um, the law is very slow to catch up. Like the one example I think I use in my classes is the like button on Facebook free speech. Yeah, the 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 question of should free speech, I guess, extend into social media social media yeah uh in the internet but i guess that could maybe cover blog posts and uh, all sorts of things like that right yes but it's um it's tricky now part of it is to remember with all of these they are privately owned companies you um so they can set you know how when's the last time you actually read all of your end user license agreements never not one time Yeah, nobody ever does. Um, you know, terms of service. Um, now, I, I've got like, you know, four YouTube videos or whatever. So I'll get a note. Of, what I get from uh, like YouTube is a notification. Hey, we changed X, Y, or Z. But I can't remember the last time I even attempted to read the whole thing. Mm-hmm. You know, and that's these. And here's the challenge. They don't charge you anything. They are free. So therefore, people have voluntarily signed up for these things. Now, in today's day and age, can you really be offline completely? Um, that's a whole nother animal besides free speech. But the reality is you don't have a lot of protections from a free service you decided to go sign up for. 
you know. And, and it can be used against you also. Oh, yeah, that that's one. We've seen it in politics. You know, somebody does. This is Mitt Romney's 47 percent comments and um, hell, Donald, you know, uh, candidates, Trump's famous bus audio that came out, you know, three or four weeks before the 2016 election. Yeah. And employers have always had that ability. You know, if you go out there and you are saying something inflammatory, stupid, I think it actually, one I remember closer to home, there was a Little Rock area, like gym teacher, phys ed teacher, who was spouting off all kinds of these QAnon ideas and white supremacist ideas. And on Facebook at the time, this was probably about two years ago, um, but they got into a big fight with can they terminate him for what he was saying on his personal Facebook? You know, so this, this is just a new twist to it. Mm-hmm. You know, but it's again, you're talking about um, people are using these tools for violent revolutions, things of that nature. So, you know, I, I've heard and I do agree, you know, like you were saying, uh, I like what you were saying, like, hey, there's a thousand people that went in in the building and, you know, maybe they will be lenient on some of those people and they won't be deemed domestic terrorists. You know, those yeah. videos of people with uh, who were getting put on the no fly list and stuff, you know, that mm-hmm. was that was wild. But, you know, a lot of people uh mostly I would say liberal minded folks are calling for, you know, accountability, like, Hey, punish these people. But I, I do, and I could be misperceiving this, but I do feel like some people are like, Hey, if you were at that morning rally, you are complicit, you know? So I kind of like where you draw the line, but you know what? I do see other people drawing other lines in the sand. What are your, what are your thoughts on, that on just kind of where you know this i've seen people fall a lot of places on who should be complicit and accountability and all that so oh man that is what deep philosophical question i mean you just went this is i'll give you a parallel i can't give you an answer but I'll, i'll give you parallels think about like what you had when world war ii was over um you had nazi leadership And one of the things the victors, the United States and England had to do is, so how far do we hold these individuals accountable? How high up do we hold, you know, um, you know, Hitler was dead, they but they captured a number of the senior generals. How far down into society do we go? Um, But you've seen this in like Iraq when we invaded in 2003, Afghanistan 2001. You cannot you know, complicit. So do you go down to all 73, 74 million people who voted Republican in 2020? No. Um, Is it the 2000 people who actually entered the Capitol grounds? Maybe. But that is one of the most difficult, that's that's the difficult question to answer is, um, you know, organizers, planners, all those sorts of things. And that's where the debate becomes like the president's speech itself. You know, he gave a speech that morning. Um, You know, how much do we hold him responsible for the actions that people followed? 
Um, you know, it's again, and that one actually, there probably is a much clearer law about because he was there at a podium giving a speech to a live crowd, you know, what a mile from the Capitol building. Whereas, you know, if he says it on Twitter, there's a lot more steps involved, et cetera, a lot, a much more immediacy. Whereas when you, if you're out there with a megaphone or a microphone in front of on the stage, um, you can typically be held a lot more responsible for what you say and the actions of those taken by those after you say it. But I don't really have a great answer for that. I think that's when I've thought about the challenges of like, you know, I'm teaching American government. I'm actually in the process of re-recording a lot of my lectures and stuff. Like one of the biggest challenges for the new Biden administration is um, how much to hold the Trump administration accountable for their actions. Because there is definitely shady dealings in the Trump presidency. There is stuff that is gets into criminality. But what happens if you spend your entire year putting out and just, you know, if you invent all you do in 2021 is investigate these previous efforts, you're not advancing your own agenda, you're not making the American people better. And it becomes the the Biden administration has to be careful about creating their own version of the Benghazi ongoings. You know, this was where Hillary Clinton was the sec, you know, the Secretary of State, there was a request for more security, um, four individuals get killed in Libya, but it becomes like this, the entire good chunks of the Obama administration were taken up with Benghazi this and Benghazi that. Um, so it becomes like, how do you deal with this from like a criminal perspective? Do you, how much time and effort um, do you spend in the middle of a pandemic, in the middle of an economic downturn, you know, saying, oh, yes, the previous president um, did X, Y, and Z um, while in office, you know. Um, but I will say, we've seen these debates go before. Um, for instance, you've seen, well, that's more government policy, but I was just thinking, you know, you have had questions about how people in American custody, like with um, border, the border agents, ICE, you know, there were qu serious questions about how those detainees were being treated. Um, and a lot of that fell on the head of ICE, um, the head of the Department of Homeland Security, et cetera. But this is in the private sector, um, the private side of things. But I think that... Uh, untangling all of this in the first um, is going to be a real challenge. And I think that's going to be the trick of, you know, the early Biden administration. If they put all 2000 people or however many it was that stormed the Capitol in prison for five years, um, while that may be what the law says, that's going to look pretty harsh for somebody who just got caught up in the moment. Um, whereas some of those, you know, Again, uh, the more clearly um, the ones there to do destructive harm to kill people, yeah, they need to go to prison, you know, because they are, you know, 
they're the ones who are really sort of selling conservatives and selling Republicans. You know, 99.9% of conservatives and Republicans, they're great, fine people. Um, but you've got this, you know, 0.01% who came to the Capitol to murder in the president's name. And how you handle that is a huge <clears throat> and challenging question. What, um, what can you say about the comments made by Trump about Mike Pence and that narrative of the riot? All I've, the biggest things I've heard is that as far as Trump and Pence, um, basically tr President Trump pressured the vice president to stall or delay or not to certify this election. And basically, Vice President Pence um, stood up and said no. Because part of it is, you know, um, Vice President Pence is a longtime politician. Um, he is very conservative, but he has dealt with the law. He was in Congress. Um, and he understood, he understood where the president did not. The president never won a legal case. If you sue 50, you have 50 opportunities to present in a court of law, here is how this election was stolen. You know, that's, you had 50 opportunities. You never produced a single shred of evidence. Um, his only victory, he was 50, he lost 51 out of 52. You know what he won? Nine feet. What, what do you mean by that? Nine feet. Okay. The one case... One of the things in Pennsylvania, when they are counting ballots, there are Democrats and Republicans who watch the count. They observe the count. Um, they make sure there's you know nothing shady going on. They were required by Pennsylvania election law to be 15 feet away. The Trump administration argued that they needed to be closer. They had to be closer. The judge agreed with them. With the pandemic, they could be up to just six feet away. So they got to move nine feet closer. That's the only victory he had in three months of election lawsuits. That's why I say, yes, you won nine feet. Um, but it's this is the difference. Those are all in the court of law. And for me, what I've been doing, because I just started American government this week, and you've got this, you know, I called it the elephant in the room. You know, you've had this riot. I've stuck to, you know, you're talking, this is the first impression on a bunch of 18-year-olds. You know, you can lose a class in the first, you know, week easily. Stick to what we know. And what we know is the president's election campaign, not the Republican Party, their election campaign had more than 50 opportunities to present evidence in a court of law about election fraud or whatever it is. And they never did. They, they couldn't, you know. Now, they've made arguments in the court of public opinion. They've had press conferences. Those don't carry the same weight. Um, and just the reality is you've had this narrative going on since the election. It's, I was cheated. I was lost. I think the one thing that really starting to worry me a bit is you're starting to get Republicans on Republican attacks, um, conservative on conservative. 
like Texas sued to have Pennsylvania's votes thrown out. Well, Texas is a Republican conservative state and the state legislature is controlled by Republicans who made the laws for counting electoral votes. Um, you've got Arkansas National Guardsmen now surrounding the Arkansas State Capitol building, which has nothing to do with any of this for potential inauguration violence. You're getting this group, which is starting to eat itself, um, starting to attack, you know, the left and the right um, are starting to attack each other within the Republican Party. And so that's becoming pretty destructive fast. So, I mean, yeah, this is one I told my students, you just got to kind of hang back and you got to wait for things to develop. You know, you're going to have, you know, part of it is we don't even know the incoming attorney general, whoever is the attorney general for President Biden will have a lot of say over this. He is effectively the country's lawyer, um, access to the FBI, you know, their input in all of this lawlessness is going to be key going forward. You know, one thing I'm going to start doing a better job at for my U.S. courses is every time there's a change in president, I'm going to talk about their entire cabinet. You know, and I usually make references to Secretary of State or Vice President, but it's never, you know, in, with Washington, I do that. Mm -hmm. And I want to say, no, there's no other president that I, like, I lay out their cabinet except Washington. I'm like, here's the cabinet, you know, this is, yeah. Um, <laughs> um, even with Jackson, I talk about his kitchen cabinet and his cabinet mm -hmm. cabinet, <laughs> but uh, that's something I'm going to do a better job at because to see, um, the political influence some of these people have like henry clay how many times that dude was secretary of state or how many in elections who all runs in elections like all the candidates oh, that, yeah. and i do a better job at that but um those are things we can really i think uh, develop understanding if we look at them oh yeah it's they are and i, I think it's especially true um with the trump presidency um he was an outsider he, he, he that was his that was his shtick when he ran i don't i am not a professional politician i've never held elected office and he was going to be more reliant on those around him than um you know say a bush 43 obama etc so you know obama's a constitutional lawyer he understands how the law the legal system the inside of a court the courts work so he doesn't he has a you know stronger grasp on that side of things um you know especially though president trump was never and he never has been a details guy um and if you want a parallel this is the ronald reagan approach i'm going to take a really bird's eye view i want the country to do x y and z and he would leave it to his cabinet officials to fill in the details um so I think, yeah, looking at those cabinet secretaries is uh, is important. Now, I'm not sure if you got to do all two dozen of them. Um, you know, there's I'm not really sure in the grand scheme of things, Betsy DeVos, you know, the outgoing secretary of education matters as much. 
Um, but there's certainly ones you look at, you know, like you said, Secretary of State and Secretary of Defense always matter. Um, Chief of Staff is a big one. Well, and you said Attorney General, right? Yes. And that's a position, too, that is is worth discussing when it's merited. I just need to, that's such a good lens of, as a historian, to, to pull out and, mm-hmm. you know, look through because man, I just like I mentioned a second ago with Henry Clay, like that guy's political involvement from 1810 to 1850 is notable, you know, like to the extent. And if you don't lay, if you lay it all out, you you really see it's not just the three compromises. It's all the the times he ran for president and all the times he was on a, a ticket and all the times he served in the cabinet and so yeah. on. Um, I teach foreign policy classes as well, and that is an easier level because you have the National Security Council, which is a subset of the cabinet. It's Secretary of State, Defense, Chief of Staff, Chairman of the Joint Chiefs of Staff, National Security Advisor. That little circle of advisors is pretty small. Uh, Oh, CIA head gets thrown in there. That's one that's eat, like a self, nice self-contained unit for foreign policy, but is incredibly influential. Um, so I think, yeah, there's certainly um, those cabinet secretaries are more important. You know, part of the reason I don't do more with them is time. You know, I've got 18 chapters to cover in 14 weeks. And if there's something, you know, you start thinking about, okay, what can I cut out? Um, that unfortunately becomes one of the big, you know, one of the ones getting into details, unless somebody does something that really helps push the story along or explains what's going on more. Um, so yeah, it's always, it, yeah, you're right. Um, the cabinet would be great if you get into like a class on the presidency. Um, I could Mm -hmm. see you doing a lot of time. Um, if you would do, like, you know how, like, it's U.S. History 1 before um, yeah, the Civil that's War? Yeah, that's what I primarily teach. Yeah, if you would have, like, U.S. History from World War II to Vietnam and then Vietnam to the present, if you split mm-hmm. it from two classes for all of American history to, say, four, then I think you really could get into it. You know, I think, you know, from my perspective, like, teaching foreign policy, Vietnam, you're going to get into, you know, Robert McNamara and a lot of those right around – particularly Lyndon Johnson. Um, But you still, I mean, people forget Eisenhower was the first person to send advisors to South Vietnam. Now, I think it's like 300 when he gets started, but what did his cabinet say about, you know, efforts and stuff like that? Um, Yeah, that that whole Cold War era, not not just to 75, that's a good capstone for getting into Indochina and Vietnam, but... um, I never got to take a class on just the cold war, you know, but it's, that's that whole era. Is that kind of what you're saying is, is such a, a fascinating era. Cause I don't really like 45 to present, like beyond the cold war. Yeah. There's some things now there's especially some things to talk about uh, more recent stuff to talk about, I suppose. Mm-hmm. But <clears throat> I, I, you know, the closer you get, I just feel like the less in depth we get to go, the closer we get to the present, present times like I stopped in 2012 for Arkansas history mm-hmm. um, but I, I think you could do like you know you capstone something like at the uh, 
end of the Cold War, that's a, that's a really good period of study, which we've got a lot of analysis and a lot of sources and a lot of re scholarship, reflection. and Yeah. Declassification is a big one for historians. You know, most, most of Reagan and Bush 41s, the dads, um, you know, presidential papers are declassified. You can go read all of this stuff. In, un, you know, in memos and stuff, you'll get greater understanding. What were you thinking? Well, here's the paper trail. Um, that's always a challenge. You know, I, I, I think we've had this discussion. Political science and history are different disciplines, but we're like first cousins. Totally, you know? totally. I, gotta, I have to deal with 2021, but in some of my classes, you got to understand literally sometimes like 3,000 years of human history. You know, if we're if you're understanding what's going on, um, like we were talking about the idea of sovereignty in class on Thursday, you you got to understand the power of say the Catholic Church from about like 400 A.D. till about 1400 A.D. and you know to understand like the social contracts and you know Locke and Rousseau and Montesquieu and all that sort of stuff. Um, but I'm trying to get to 2021, like really, really fast. Uh, but that's the reality is that, you know, to understand like, well, why did the Republicans do this? That's a popular social media question. Well, you got to understand the last, like, honestly, you, you've got to start the story of what is a Republican, like with the Reagan revolution, you know, the Republican party as we know it is what he built in the early in late seventies into the early eighties. You know, and how it's he built it, but it's changed, it's evolved. You know, the growth of like the Tea Party that came out of it. When did the Republican Party make its hard turn against immigration? When they become a nativist party? That sort of thing, you know, it didn't magically happen all, you know, three weeks ago. You know, it's something that has been a challenge. Um and it was the answer is somewhere between 2004 and 2006 is where you see a lot of this nativist uh, side come out of parts, you know, segments of the Republican Party. Yeah, that is fascinating. And so have you observed this? Um, people keep wanting to, I mean, you're noting recent changes. Right. And we could go back. Uh, Marie talked about changes when she was on our, our last podcast, the first politics unraveled episode we did. But, but Trump, his supporters um, have wanted to say things like party of Lincoln, you know, and then oh, yeah. too, there's these billboards in Conway that. that oh. <laughs> yeah, I, know. I know which I know which two you're talking about. They are so historically context absent. Yes. Yep. Yeah. If it, you were, it blows my mind. Oh yes. Yeah. It's the um, it's the use and abuse of history. Totally. You know, it's it's cherry picked. You find this one little spot that makes you look good, and you forget the other, you know, decades or even centuries of oppression and stupidity and anger and stuff like that. And then next thing you know, we get. Uh, confederate flags flying at the capitol yeah exactly uh, you know, but uh that that sort of confusion like I, i've talked to people about that i'm like okay so we see these trucks these trump flags and these confederate flags and mm -hmm. 
we see billboards that these people love to see like uh you know the democratic party was the party of slavery and mm-hmm. uh all this stuff while they're republicans saying they're party of lincoln flying a confederate flag yeah exactly it blows my mind man like yeah. i can't reconcile it you know and I think there's larger issues. I've spoke about this, you know, when I was a kid growing up, man, uh, there's, you know, they have, I think a, a pickle festival at Atkins and a grape festival at Altus, you know, mm-hmm. and they have a peach festival at Clarksville and on the town square. And they probably still do. I'm going to go back this year and look when I was growing up at the peach festival, they sold Confederate memorabilia in mass. Mm-hmm rings flags hats shirts you name it wallets the whole event's been more subdued lately but they're they always call garbage galore on 64 yeah 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 like early august arkansas you get people set up tables and we've we've had flag and memorabilia i've seen them um if i remember right i usually see them um out like east main street um some of those big vacant lots they'll set up and be selling and stuff. But yes, um, I think there's a, there's debates right now um, about how we teach history. Um, people are talking about like, what is it? Is it the uh, 1619 project? I can't yep. remember the, the numbers. Others have said, we got to, you know, teaching us history. It's got to be all positive and show us in a good light. I mean, this is a huge challenge, you know. Um, you know, I always say to my classes, you know, yeah, the United States might be the best country in the world, but we can always be doing better. Um, and if you don't look at the realities and the real problems, you're getting a fake version of it, a really problematic version of it. You know, and I think because the honest truth is when you get in that classroom, um, your students may have to confront uncomfortable truths. You know, this is part of being, you know, the accent should give it away. I'm a Yankee. Um, my ancestors were not even in this country during the slavery and segregation era. They emigrated about the turn of the 19th to the 20th century. So I have no stake or skin in the segregation game or the civil war game. Whereas if you're from Arkansas, your family may have to confront um, a, the cold reality of that your great 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 grandfather may have been a you know revolted against the, the United States, may have attempted took up arms to destroy this more perfect union. Um, if you are your great grandfather, may have been an active segregationist if you're from Arkansas and Caucasian, I think that kind of goes without saying, but just to make sure um, that is very uncomfortable. And, but it's, you know, how you have to engage that, you know, cause this is, it's part of history. Um, but it's trying to engage it in a way that is not accusational. You know, we are not the sins of our great grandfathers. And it's, it's trying to get people to look at that, to understand it, um, to realize that, you know, we are still, there are still major effects of slavery in the United States, um, even, you know, 150 plus years after the end of the Civil War. 
you know, it's trying to find ways to get them to see it and engage with it in any meaningful way. That to me is what we're all, you know, we're, what we're striving for. And it's a, it's a hell of a challenge. It is man, but I, it's one I enjoy undertaking in the classroom. You know, I do, yeah. I, I, I was doing a slavery in Arkansas research project and for my Arkansas history class. Now I do slavery as slavery in the United States project as well. And with that course, you know, I mean, we're going to be starting chapter two next week and that's going to get into first slaves arriving and, mm-hmm. and that'll be like right now we're doing pre-contact native cultures, European exploration, but the very next thing is Africa triangular slave trade yeah, or, or triangular trade network, slave uh, Atlantic slave trade, all of that. But it's, um, it's a thread that is persist all the way through the civil rights movement. One thing like uh, that oh, yeah. more recent historians have pointed been making is like, you know, we're seeing the continuation of the civil rights movement um, yes. in many ways. Uh, and it, it does there. This is a remark I've heard several historians make It's kind of after Martin Luther King died, after he was assassinated, getting into the seventies, at Vietnam ends and things just kind of fizzled out, right? Mm-hmm. It, but it wasn't like it was because of mass equality and and every everybody was happy. You know what I'm saying? Uh, yeah. I, I have always, you know, uh, kind of observed that like, hey, what happened to the civil rights movement? Where, where did it go? Is it done? And, and I would say now we're seeing um, with 2020 that um, there's there's still work to be done. I would certainly agree. I think when I've taught um, social movements and mass movements in American politics, I think the you hit on one of the issues. There's not the dynamic generational leadership anymore. Um, you know, Martin Luther King Jr. absolutely transformed that movement. He was able to articulate it, express it in any venue, whether a speech, in the halls of power, et cetera. Once he is assassinated and off the scene, that you, I mean, you've had a lot of people strive to be the next leader, but I don't think you've had the same like level of success. Um, I will be really fascinated to see, we're starting to see better organization of communities of color. Like I think um, one of the big ones, uh, Stacey Abrams, she is the African-American woman um, from Georgia who really has organized Georgia voters, Georgia's Democratic voters politically. Um, She effectively flipped Georgia for Biden. She then turned around a day later and, you know, helped win two Georgia Senate seats for the Democrats, um, she is very she is single handedly the um, organized that state's political apparatus. The issue is that's that is awesome. You almost need what Martin Luther King did. He he organized really all African Americans, but lots of sympathetic Caucasians as well. Um, what you need, if you really want a new civil rights movement, you need that kind of dynamic leadership 
um, in the same way as Martin Luther King to bring these issues to the forefront to move about change. And you've just, you've just been missing that since you know the late 60s. Mm-hmm. Social movements with a leader are just far more effective. You know, you yeah. can look at like Gandhi in India, for instance, um, for you know international parallel. Yeah, you know, that's an interesting point. I've I've thought about that a lot recently, like sort of the what I believe Kennedy referred to as the great man theory of government, right? That basically movements and progress and um you know things of that nature are inspired by great leaders by great people who are they're better than the average person they're they're more adept and i don't i'm like yeah i don't really believe that you know like that's how i personally feel about it right like oh no our institutions should be good enough or or you know however you want to interpret it but it, you know that's one way he had one way of looking at it that's that's again yeah. it's like a, i've heard jfk say that multiple times but i do get what you're saying it's like there is we're absent of that and i do think that that is um definitely a factor but what it, i mean is we we as a society i wonder if that will change anytime in the future um i certainly hope so i think and here's the way I would clarify. I'm going back. This is an older lesson I haven't done for a while. Um, the social movements got folded into another chapter. Basically, this older textbook, when you look at what makes a successful social movement, you needed five things. It, it's a recipe. And, um, you know, you need a good cause. You know, those sorts of things. Leadership is one of those five things. You know, you can have the best leader in the world if you don't got the other four, you know, you're not going anywhere. Um, so I don't think it's a cinch, you know, it is not necessary. You know, what is it necessary and sufficient? I can't remember that right now. Um, but it's, you know, good, dynamic, strong, articulate leadership will help your movement. Um, you know, think about it. There's lots of the, there's lots of movements and lots of debates Um you don't have great leadership for it. It's just going to be okay, be marginalized, you know, that sort of thing. So again, when I teach American government, it's simple. Yes, we're the greatest country in the world, but we can always be better. And there's always a really long to-do list. Um, At any point you need, you know, government to do and fix 50 things. And you know, a good leader will help you get up that list. And maybe we learned our lesson about a reality star TV host not being a good leader. I don't know. Yeah, if you want to, if you want a contrast, I think you shared it too. Um, former Governor Schwarzenegger's video. Oh, people were ripping on that too. Uh, did you see some of the comments? I got a couple of snarky. Uh, no, I. Comments got weird. I've I've had a couple of those, you know, somebody yeah, hijacking yeah. threads and stuff like that. But no, it's you know, the trick is, you know, we need competent leaders. You know, get you know which party will win every election, the political party which actually gets things done. Yeah. Get rid of COVID, get the economy going again, lower some health care costs, and you're going to crush everybody at the ballot box. You know, 
you can do those three things over the next four years, you're going to win the electoral college, like 450 to, you know, 70. Well, you know, and something else, I think that we will see some relief on, um, core has been following this more closely than I have, but student loans. Call. Oh, I am waiting to refinance my mortgage to see what happens with student loans. Yeah. But yeah, it's, I'm, you know, my family, we've been very fortunate. We've been able to keep making our payments. Um, but it's, yeah, I think on mine, I'm paying my student loans for an, another long time. This was one area where the current administration failed. Mm, yeah. Uh, I was eligible and like many others turned down. Um, they have a special program for veterans and those who've served their um, state and government positions to have their student loans forgiven. I qualified. I applied like 30,000 other people. They only gave 13 out. Um, they were sued over that. Exactly. Um, but it's, you know, if there would be student debt relief, like the gist is like Danielle's student loans, my wife's, she's not too far from paying off. I think if we, I figured it out, I think she's within like three or four years. But if they forgive $10,000 or so, even the smallest amount I've heard, her student loans might go away in 2021. Yeah. Because that was, they were saying with all these stimulus checks and funds and all that sort of stuff, the best stimulus, like, you know, get rid of student loans and all of a sudden, whatever you're paying into student loans goes, you know, magically away. It, Man, all of a sudden... I, I know. And you mentioned healthcare. It's what got me thinking about that. But those two things for a lot of Americans, a lot of people, I mean, from my, from me to you, from my generation to your generation, and people want to argue that, it, you know, no, you can't do that. It's bad conservatives. But it's like, you know, I, I pay like $1,200 a month, dude, because I want to get done with it, you know? Yeah. And I would be putting that back into the economy some other way. I would become involved with other business ventures or I would invest that money or I would, I would do something with it, you know? Yeah. And I think that is the argument for, for, yeah, this would stimulate the economy. Yep. Cause you, yeah. Um, I think combined, we, I think we pay about $700 a month on student loans. Yeah. And if even one of those, if one of those went away, all of a sudden, here's $300 extra a month that we can be spending locally. Like, you know, my, my stimulus check stimulated the local economy. I went and bought a new fridge. Yeah. Um, Cause the magic chef fridge that came with the house, it's great. It's awesome. It's now a beer fridge, but you know, when you're looking at a fridge that might be your age, you know, don't want yeah. to take a chance of something going wrong. Yeah, Cora and I have been slowly but surely replacing all of our appliances. You know, we got a new stove when we first moved in, but we recently got a new fridge. Um, man, she's she's all over it. Dishwasher is oh, yeah, all we got left. Yeah, that's the one thing about a lot of this with the pandemic. We are in uncharted territory. Um, you are finding out on the fly they're making it up as they go. No, I mean, this is literally great depression kind of era throw on top of it. The, you know, um, Spanish flu outbreak on top of world war one, 
kinds of levels of stuff going on. Um, and it's tough. You got to make decisions. You got to make a choice for better, or for worse. Um, so it just, it's really difficult for government to navigate, whether it's the federal government, state government or local government, you know, um, so far it looks like we're staying open cross fingers. And, you know, even though like Pope County's cases have soared the, the last couple of weeks, Conway County has to, we're one of the hot spots. Yeah. Um, Pope County was, I saw maybe a week ago was the worst per capita. Um, like Little Rock, yeah, Pulaski County, Washington County, they are always the highest when the governor, they always put out the governor's daily briefings and the list of the top five counties. Well, they're always the top, the largest, because they're the most people. But Pope County, 60,000 has like twice as many cases per capita. Mm. Um, you know, and now it's, I'm, I am trying to not get my hopes up too far. Um, hoping, you know, vaccines might be around the corner are you not able to get vaccine uh with through the college oh yeah but yeah. it's like one of those this is i am superstitious um this is an old army superstition if you get dropped off somewhere you don't spend time looking at the helicopter coming to get you and you don't look at the helicopter leaving on its way out um just because when you're so close you don't want to have a slip up you don't you know when you see the end might, you know, the light at the end of the tunnel, um, you got to keep that discipline going. You got to keep the masks on. You got to keep the distance because um, you don't want to screw up right before relief is there. So mm -hmm. it's like uh, they're starting to take information. Um, if, you know, it's my suspicion when it comes time to get vaccinated, you're going to get like an email saying, hey, we got vaccinations. You need to be here tomorrow at 8.30 a.m. Um, you know, and drop everything you're doing, come get it. But uh, they're starting to collect information like that at, at tech to get everybody, because uh, um, that's a big difference. Higher education in Arkansas, we're, pretty, we're in the list. Um, I have a couple of friends who are professors in Florida they're just considered rank and file general public and they are um, being required to do mass classes without social distancing. Like imagine teaching your history classes in a crowded uh, auditorium of 150 students shoulder to shoulder. Yeah. Yeah. yeah that's so I'm just trying to, you know, stay patient, stay cool. You know, with a little luck, sometime in spring, our understanding is if everything goes the way it's supposed to, we should be inoculated this spring. That's yeah, they're, they're starting to do the vaccines for our employees like next week. Yeah, I think they've hit um, public safety. They've hit the, what do you call it, health center. Mm -hmm. But um, for the history lesson, though, we're talking the largest public health initiative since trying to cure polio. I thought you about know, that. Yeah. yeah. I mean, you literally I mean, you need to get 330 million Americans inoculated. Um, and I can, I've seen the pictures, you know, there's Elvis getting his, you know, polio shot in like 19, you know, 60 or 61 or something like that. But he got it like on national television and stuff like that to show it's safe and 
if Elvis is doing it, so should I. How often are you going to need to get the vaccine annually? I don't know about that. That's the, um, it seems like you got to get two doses. I know that. So that. I'm not sure because even with normal vaccination schedules and stuff, you have to get re revaccinated. Like, I think, I mean, Danielle and I were, I mean, everybody's vaccinated for like measles, mumps, rubella now. We had to get, I think, had to get a booster shot of it when we went to have Paige, um, which would put me in my early 30s and Danielle in her late 20s. And it was just because they realized that this booster was supposed to be for life, but it only lasts about 10 years. So they're like, okay, you know, if I told you, hey, you got to get a COVID booster every five years or every 10 years, you know, I don't think people have a problem with that. If it's, you know, if it's like flu shots, you know, we'll see and stuff like that. But yeah, this is you know, a huge endeavor that um, on a scale we haven't seen in decades. Yeah. So, and using, I mean, the uh, inoculations, it's like brand new technology. You know, you got to keep it like at 70 below zero until you're ready to use it and stuff like that. So um, for many of the vaccines. Yeah. Yeah, it's interesting. I've been seeing um, some people are like, yeah, my arm hurts. Some people get COVID-like symptoms for mm -hmm. 12 hours or something. One guy yeah. said said his first shot made him feel – and he'd had COVID like several months ago. Mm -hmm. uh, but he said his first shot made him feel like he had COVID for 11 hours and the, the second shot for like 15 hours or vice versa. That's uh, yeah. I've heard a lot of people that the first shots, I mean, if you get a flu vaccine, you feel, eh, you know, a little bit the next day or whatever. I mean, I've always, I never had like a bad reaction, but yeah, I've heard the same thing. Um, one of your guests, Kelly Jones, our Arkansas historian, her mother is a nursing down there in Conway. She has gotten both her doses. Um, and the, she said the first was like nothing. The second, yeah, you have a day or so where you feel like you've got COVID symptoms. Now, I think her employer told her to plan to have two days off after you get your second dose. Um, just so you you can sit down, relax, you can let that go through you while it kicks in. Yeah. Um, but it's figuring stuff like that out. No. And then, of course, you get the challenge, like those people who are not, who are going to choose to not get inoculated. Um, you know, more power to you, but thanks, but no thanks. So, and how you, how you handle them, what do you do, if anything? Yeah. Well, you know, I do get that some people uh, have some concern. It's like, you know, the, the vaccine being as new as it is, that makes, mm -hmm. that makes some, some sense. I mean, yeah, it, we it's... were telling people opiates were great for a long time, and, you know, now we know they're not. <laughs> yeah. So, and I'm not saying, I'm not comparing the vaccine to opiates, but I'm just saying I, I would like more, and I realize we can't, it's not a luxury that we can oh, yeah. have right now, but it would be nice if it was like, we were like, there's been two years of trials, you know, yes. 
that would make, I think, a lot of people feel more comfortable. But I, I, I do see that as a legitimate concern. Uh, in one of these, I think it's Pfizer, and I haven't seen this shared. Uh, somebody said something. I did a little bit of research about it, but and it may not be Pfizer. It may be the other mm -hmm. one. Uh, have had a lot of um, lawsuits filed against them for uh, different side effects from medicines. Again, they're a pharmaceutical company. It makes sense. Oh, but yeah. it's like, well, well, I, so that happens. Sometimes you create a bad batch or, you know, John Jones's creatine has, <laughs> you know, yeah. whatever male enhancement fills in it, <laughs> whatever it yeah. is. But uh, so mistakes can be made. And, and yeah. Well, that's why if you, I don't know how much like regular TV you get to watch, but if you watch sports, if you watch sports, they're selling all kinds of drugs. Like you just said, natural male enhancement. Um, but they're selling stuff for heart disease and liver disease and cancer treatments. And near the end, though, they string off all these possible side effects. And all it takes is one person in tens of yeah, thousands that is, to have point. that one side effect. Um, this because this is a bioethics question. Um, you know, what level of safety do you, are you comfortable with? Because I think um, this is comes up in some things like um, oh, national security policy. I'm thinking deep here. Oh, vaccinating people against smallpox. Yeah. You can do it. Now, normal immunizations, you're going to have one bad reaction about every 200,000 to 250,000 doses, which for a country as big as the United States is pretty small. The trouble is with smallpox, the, that rate is like one in 50 or one in 60. So that's just way, because that happened right after 9-11. People are scared of terrorists. They're worried about a biological weapon. They say, what if, you know, somebody starts spreading, you know, um, smallpox? We've got a vaccine, but it was so, it would have been so damaging just vaccinating people that they said, no, nah, this doesn't make any sense. Um, but that's a whole, you know, and it's again, you know, if you get a rash on your back for three days, but you're safe from COVID, I'll take it, you know? Yeah. So it's part, that's part of what this is. We're all, um, you're going to learn a lot about it by putting it in the field. That is, that is a great point, man, because I mean, shoot, you and I both know a ton of people that have already taken it. You know, I do. I know a bunch of people that have taken it and I've seen people that I don't know and talk to all the time that have taken it that just on social media, you know, mm -hmm. uh, that are more abroad than here locally. But I know a lot of people locally, healthcare people, uh, people at the gym through the gym. I mean, probably a couple of dozen and I, and nothing that would be alarming. And I haven't heard, I know originally, and I think that they were, I think they were false stories, but originally when the vaccine like first dropped, people were putting out this narrative that it caused you to have, palsy in your face or like yeah. some, social, some social media posts and yeah. and this and i don't i couldn't i verify from my end where i was looking it up as they weren't true but then i saw another one i didn't go back and look but i just assumed that it was also not true so but there's the trouble you get into is you know you were smart 
you heard information online, you went to look and verify it. The problem is how many millions of Americans, and this will circle us back to the politics, wouldn't do that. I hear this vaccine turns you European, so I'm not going to take it. Um, where'd you hear that? You know, YouTube, YouTube, Reddit forums, yeah, um, all that kind of stuff. It's why, like, I think Reddit or um, YouTube has started taking down stuff like um, some of the anti-vaxxer stuff. I know they've gone after election conspiracy theory stuff because um, then they because the reality is um, it's one thing if you know you don't get to hear Joe Rogan and Lenny Clark tell a drugs you know drug addled stand up comedy story, but it's another when your people are making medic you know there's got to be a joke if you are making your entire medical decisions based on YouTube you might want to reconsider those options, but. You people, here's the trouble. People are actually doing that and it can have really harmful effects because I think that's one thing I'm catching is once you're vaccinated, you might be able to carry COVID, but you won't have symptoms. You know, you could be dripping COVID um, and you'll never feel it. You'll never know it. So what happens is once you get to certain levels, the danger is going to be when you get to like 60 or 70% immunities, um, those 30% who have elected not to better be really careful about who they're around. Yeah. You know, here's something else I was, I was curious about, you know, I've been exposed I mean, we're exposed at the same time that one time, um, oh, yeah. but I've been exposed three times. A little times. closer than me. Yeah. Three times now. And I've wondered, and I'm not banking on it, but I've wanted, it's like, you know, do I, do I have some sort of immunity or maybe I got it and I was asymptomatic? Yep. But here, here's another th curiosity I've had about COVID is let's say, let's say I, I had it and I was asymptomatic. Mm -hmm. Logical, but we don't know. But we do know that people get it and are asymptomatic. What about when they get it again mm. and again and again? Are yeah. they going to be asymptomatic every time or is it going to get worse every time? So far, at least what I have run into, there are not that many people who have had it fully twice. Um, you know, you and I are both, you know, I know I'm living, I had it, I've got my positive test. So I'm living that antibody life. The issue but is I don't know how long. 90 days is what I've heard. Right. I think, yeah, me and Cora are on, on the exact same calendar. Um, but it goes longer. My brother's in California. He caught it in late March, early April. And he still has some level of antibodies. He's still giving plasma to donate because uh, they use that in those who people, you know, people have caught COVID. And now he's probably at nine months later. That's good. That's good news. Yeah, but, but it's one of those, I would love to be able to go and get like a, you know, bi-monthly antibody test to find out, do I still have it, you know, that sort of thing. Because like you said, you, you could be donating to help people out. Um, but it's, it seems like, and that's the problem when people start yelling about, well, let's just do herd immunity, open everything, spread it fast. Yeah, you spread it fast, but in a year or so, when it comes through for round two, you, it's going to be even worse. Mm -hmm. um, you know, we're talking 
we're creeping up on 400,000 dead from COVID. You know, if a second if a second round worse than this one, once everybody's herd immunity starts to pass, that to me would sounds absolutely terrifying. Yeah, you know, and the curiosity I've had is in the like the Spanish flu, for example, being remembered as something that occurred in waves. Yes. That's, you're, I've wondered what moment. wave we're in, you know, or, or how many more waves we have left, or if this is, if this is still the first wave, or we in third wave, second wave, you know. I got to think about that because there's different parts of the country who've had their own waves. Like the yeah. initial early wave, the spring 2020 wave, was a lot of the heavily populated states California, Washington State. New York, New Jersey, Pennsylvania. Then summer of 2020 was the Southern wave. That is when Florida and Texas got really bad, but you really started to see the numbers go up throughout a lot of the Southern states. Like Alabama got really bad. Georgia was pretty bad. Um, fall of 2020 was the Midwest. Um, I remember this is where Wisconsin, um, Chicago, Illinois got bad again. But now we're getting into winter and everybody's having issues. Um, like you've seen Europe. I mean, they they were basically fully reopened. Everybody's wearing masks for, for a couple of months, like September, October, November. But they're all buttoned up again um, just because it's it's wintertime. Another ver it's broken out again. Um you know, it's the and part of this um, from a politics perspective, it's really hard to legislate what you need to to keep it from spreading. You know, you cannot have a group of more than ten people together. Well, how many law enforcement officers are going to go knock on doors and say, "How many people do you have at this child's birthday party?" I need to count heads. Well, and yeah. how many how many people are going to call and report and so the answer is some you know i've seen i saw okay. some videos of some cops giving kids hell at fayetteville that you have yeah well that happened that was oh i remember that it happened in russellville right as we were getting back into school somebody threw a big house party um not even associated with tech but here's the this is where it was obvious there was like 50 everybody drove themselves and there's like 50 cars parked in a residential neighborhood, like up on lawns and everything else like that. Um, that's easy. I mean, that's, you've seen that. Um, New York broke, um, prevented a wedding from happening. Um, it was going to be on Long Island. There was going to be 2,000 wedding guests. And it's like, yeah, I, I think the biggest wedding I've ever been to is about 400. I don't even want to know what the hell 2,000 looks like. Yeah. But, it's it's how do you actually police it you know on private property masks are easy you walk into it's that store owner's prerogative mask great you know wear it no mask it's up to the owner um but and you know there's all this the the cult you know there's groups about who's wearing masks where what businesses are doing what all that sort of stuff that's out there and um but it is a real policing challenge. It's how do you enforce what will keep people safe? 
because that's what Arkansas's breakout in COVID cases is. It's not, you know, going to Razorback games. It's, you know, birthday parties, social gatherings, um, unmasked church groups, things like that. Um, and, you know, there's just, it's really hard to engage and enforce stuff like that. You know, I think, you know, the, the parallel I figured out and you could, I want, here's what it's for you to think about this weekend. I compare it to drunk driving. A lot of people drink, get behind the wheel. Same thing with COVID. I can go out there. I can be, I might've have it. I might not. I don't really know. I go about my own business. We probably know people who've never taken a precaution, who are stupid, have never caught COVID and not spread it. I know plenty of people who followed every single possible precaution, wind up catching it anyway. Um, but it's the same, you know, how do you prevent or stop um, drunk driving? It's a lot of the same idea. You know, people are going to do it. Some people will get away with it. Others are going to have accidents. Others are going to hurt others. It seems to me that there's some kind of parallel between the way we um, try and prevent drunk driving to the same way we prevent sort of these uh, dangerous, destructive behaviors of, co of COVID spreading. Does that make sense? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, it is. It's a, it's a tough... It, it, what I'm interested to see later on down the road in my lifetime is in the era that we live in, what sort of modifications we take for the future. Mm -hmm. because this is something that, oh man, you know, I've heard the word unprecedented thrown around <laughs> more in the last year. And yeah, there've been some crazy things, but it's like, we, the similar things have happened. And I felt like we could have been more prepared as a country, you know, and could well, could have, could have acted differently in certain areas. Yeah. It's, oh, you know, let's take a closer history. The last 10 years, you've got the anti-vaxxer movement in the United States. And what have you, you've started to see a lot of diseases which do not have to exist in the United States return. Uh, measles, mumps, I think have shown up in Arkansas, mm -hmm. um, particularly with uh, Northwest Arkansas, if I remember correctly. You know, and but we, the United States is a more individualistic society. We put and allow individuals a lot more freedom to make their own choices. And, you know, choosing to get inoculated in the United States is a choice. Um, but the, the issue is it, it spreads, like you see, with those diseases out of control. I would not be surprised if there is some, some manner of either requiring it more or limitations if you don't have your vaccinations or something like that in response to this. Like flying, you know, stuff like that. What's that? Flying, travel. I bet yeah, they will I mean, restrict that uh, under the Biden yeah, administration. Anywhere That's that you might become a super spreader yourself. You know, um, if we got to make everybody get COVID vaccines, we might as well get everybody up to date on everything else. Um, yeah. So I think that's one thing in general. Um, again, it's going to be questions of public health. 
you know, the biggest problem for places like Arkansas is just the number of hospital beds, the number of doctors. You know, if you ha if you had an uncontrolled outbreak, you know, um, it could be devastating. You know, I think uh, Clarksville's, I don't know how big their hospital is. Um, oh, you saw this in Dardanelle this summer, you know, when they had the really bad outbreak, um, June, it's, um, they don't have a big hospital. And all of a sudden you're worried about, well, hey, we're almost at capacity. You know, if you would get a really, you know, uncontrolled outbreak, how are you going to deal with that? Um, you know, more rural, people have been yelling about rural medicine, preventive medicine for decades. Um, you know, Arkansas is unhealthy. Why? It's such a big state. It, it's a long distance to a doctor for many people. I mean, that's part of what Russell, if you drive around Russellville, part of Russellville's economy is medical providers. You know, you're going to wind up, we got heart clinics and we got a dialysis center and we got all these things here. But if you're so, like from Jasper or, you know, some of those places, you're hauling in a car 45 minutes or an hour. True. You know, trying to get better, just basic medical provision in places um, of a higher quality for a lot of, you know, especially the rural areas. I think it's one thing that, that we should, if we are wise, start looking at and thinking about. Yeah, yeah. That'll end one. Well, that's kind of, that's what I was saying. Maybe on the other side of this, that'll be, and we've talked about several things this this podcast healthcare student loans mm -hmm. uh this being a subset of healthcare but vaccinations yeah. um i think these will be areas that because of what's going on um that we will see improvements and i think we will see i i i personally hope to see less of an issue with there being censorship on the internet. Mm -hmm. That is, I mean, you know, and Joe Rogan talks about that a lot, or I've heard him speak to it in the past is extending that rights into the digital space more. And, yeah. you know, hopefully I I'm holding out that we see more of that, right. Mm -hmm. That, that, that will create, uh, in my view and some, some other people's will create, uh, it kind of you know an environment where it's like hey we can debate about this but without there being echo chambers popping up everywhere you oh know? yeah well i've t i was telling my students yesterday that one of the um all the leaders of these big tech companies youtube google twitter facebook they recognize they are designed to be echo chambers you know i don't like this I push it off. I like this, see more of it. Um, they've all recognized and acknowledged that they are playing a role, but they have no ability or idea how to fix it. Mm -hmm. You know, in what way do they force, you know, I'll, I'll, you know, Facebook users, hey, you're getting all these conservative stuff. Let me throw you a little bit of, you know, liberal salt and pepper in there once in a blue moon. Um, so I, that is a challenge. I mean, you're, you're right. We all... Everybody does it, and every social media platform is built that way. It's designed to give you and target you with advertisements for things that you want or you think you want. Mm -hmm. And it's trying to get it out of that bubble is always is the is the huge problem. You know, yeah. get you like again, if you want to go full circle to these protesters, one of the things is they all have such you know. You talk about these information bubbles; 
there's like an information bowling ball with such a little tiny bit of information in and out. Um, that's why people are, I was reading today, there's um, growing discussion about, hey, these guys are acting like they're in a cult. Well, that's what cults do. They limit information. Um, but social media may be contributing to, I can create my armor-plated bubble um, of QAnon conspiracy theories. And it, but it's, you know, the leaders of these companies recognize the problem, but it's, you know, they don't know how to solve it. Yeah. So I've heard like, I mean, you know, Zuckerberg's the big one I've seen in particular on Capitol Hill getting up there and says, yes, this is part of our model. We give people what they want to see or what our, alg or here's the better one, what our algorithm thinks they want to see. Yeah. Yeah. Well, man, I thought about, and I may still do it, something to consider for the future. I thought about live streaming the inauguration. <laughs> I'm not sure if it's a real inauguration or a virtual one or how it's. It'd be, I'm, I mean, I'm interested to see what goes on for sure. You know? Oh, yeah. Oh, it'll be, there is going to be 4,700 camera crews from every network in D.C., um, it's going to, I think it's actually going to be bad because it's going to be some idiot going, I'm standing on a street corner. Nothing is happening. Yeah. You know? Um, yeah. It's, uh, it'll be, um, it'll be interesting. I mean, as much, um, I don't know, anxieties. I think there are some anxieties that surround the event, like we're talking about. Oh, it, certainly. I, yes. And I'm not like wanting to tune in just to see if something bad happens. But um, it's it's a historic event and something that I'm trying to gather intel. This will be, you know, in 20 years as a historian, when I talk about this. Oh, yeah. You know, it'll be a little different. It'll be like, you know. Oh, that certainly is part of it. Like, I've been, um, you know, thinking about that as well. You, you need some clarity. You need some distance. Um, and there's just, when you teach history, though, the interesting thing is there's some presidencies who just get ignored and it's not that they're boring or they're anything. It's just, that you only have so much space. Yeah. And it's like, I, I feel bad. I barely like Bush, the dad, Bush 41. I barely touch it in any of my classes. Um, you get a lot of Reagan, you get a lot of Clinton. Um, he's the transition between the two, but it's like some get ignored you know, but there's there's certain things about the current climate that I know are going to be part of the class forever. You know, um, social media presidencies. You know, it's actually it started. They called uh, President Obama was the first Facebook president, and then President Trump has been up until a week ago called like the Twitter president. You know, yeah, and because social media is just you know is this powerful tool, you know, you can reach your followers and your like-minded individuals with no filters. Now, whether or not that's a good or bad thing, we'll leave that to the individual. Um, but that's like, um, that's been part of my course. You know, if you, t if you are going through the traditional media, you get Billy reader back here. Um, Billy reader does a interview with president Trump. the interviewer's got to write it up and then he'll have an editor behind him 
um, a producer, if it's television, who can edit it or use it in different ways and stuff like that. Um, and then it gets to air. So it's gone through multiple stages, multiple hands. Um, whereas it's with um, social media, it's a direct conduit. Your thoughts go straight from your brain to your thumbs out there into the world. And I think, um, you know, particularly you've seen that. Um, why did President Trump get 74 million votes? Because he was able to communicate that way. Um, with those of his, you know, same political persuasion. But likewise, there was, uh, Democrats were big on social media. They were raising money hand over fist. Um, and that's how, you know, Biden got 81 million votes. You know, they're able to cut out a lot of the mass media and really get touch people, get to people directly. Yeah. Yeah, I will say, you know, I'm not a Trump supporter, but I was I was surprised that he did not win. And I'm not saying that that was that's that's not evidence for fraud, but I I was like, oh man, this dude's about to win again. You know, like that's how I was was feeling about it. And even uh, that first like the morning going in when they hadn't called it, I was just looking at it and I was like, looks like this dude's gonna win again. You know, and then when he didn't, I was like, oh, okay, well, yeah, yeah. I guess that, this what, what that's surprising. I was surprised. Well, that was the thing. I know Cora had a great post about it when you realize that some of these counties are so large. Um, like I found out my brother actually lives in Los Angeles County, population 10 million. Yeah. Arkansas and Oklahoma combined population yes. size in one county. Exactly. Um, but everybody suddenly becomes a subject matter expert on Pennsylvania election law, Georgia election law. Like, um, yeah, that was, I mean, that's part of what you should be doing is, you know, you learn about, so what happened in Pennsylvania? Okay, the Republicans made a rule for whatever reason that they're only going to start counting votes mail-in on Wednesday morning. And there was one county with more than a million mail-in ballots sitting there. You know, just like they had their logic, they overrode the governor's veto of that idea. But congratulations, it's going to take you four extra days to count literally all those votes. Um, but it was definitely a bizarre. Um, it probably this election should, I think, Biden won. It's definitely closer. Um, than I would have expected. Um, in hindsight, I was a little surprised by Georgia. I think that's the big one we start to see, but um, it's easier to see in hindsight. That's always, yeah. 100%. you know, when I thought about that's part of, I still have to redo my um, lecture on presidential elections. And I, part of it is I ask, so what the hell happened? And I've been working to try and figure out how to answer that. And part there's a couple of things. COVID required a huge change of strategy. And I don't think President Trump really did. Mm -hmm. He loves his campaign rallies. He loves those big events. They really helped him in 2016. He just couldn't have them in 2020. You know, you got to, he went from um, going to like the um, Dallas Cowboys Stadium, having 100,000 people. Um, 
there to, he was doing a municipal airport a half mile from my mom's house with like 10,000 people. It just doesn't have the same effect. Um, he, needed to, he needed to adapt more than he did. Yeah. Um, but we're also in the era of negative partisanship. It's not that I'm voting for Joseph Biden. A lot of people are voting against Donald Trump. And part of it, though, is this is the same one. What I think, if you want people to understand better, we have we share a lot of the same friends. We know a lot of the same conservatives. They were saying the exact same thing in 2016. I don't like I you know I'm not a fan of Donald Trump, but man, I hate Hillary Clinton. Yeah. you're getting the same thing. Donald Trump is the same thing on the Democratic side. And that part of it, too, is Donald Trump shot down. This was going to be a mail-in election in every state. And how many times in the, the election, it's it, mail-in voting is fraudulent. He drove down his own turnout numbers. True. Very true. So it's like those three things. And any one of those he could have overcome. You put all three together and you wind up with a pre, you know, he, he the electoral college margin is not as large. It's the same thing as 2016. President Trump won in 2016 by only about a quarter of a million votes spread in the certain states. You know, you lose 20,000 here, 30,000 there. Um, Nevada was really close. Georgia was razor thin. Um, there were a lot of narrow margins. Now he got blown, you know, he got beat pretty good in Michigan. He got pretty beat pretty good in Pennsylvania. Um, but with those differences, you know, it was closer than expected, but I got to wrap it up. Yeah, me too, man. Uh, I gotta go, I gotta go pick up the, uh, the Russellville Strangler at school. All right, dude. Uh, well, Hey, thanks so much for contributing to, to the podcast yet again. You're Always, welcome. Uh, it's great to just have somebody to talk to you about this stuff, man. So, Oh yeah. It's, um, appreciate it, it definitely is it's weird it's very strange um well you're but, uh, you're the resident political scientist man we got that reminds show. me i'm going uh, i got a new gig i think i start tuesday once it won't be every week but i'm going to start dropping in on river valley now um oh, cool 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 you've seen sass in the beard they're bringing on some others they brought on one guy cody um, Cody uh, goes to a lot of the Pope County Republican meetings. Um, they're bringing me on to talk some about talk about some of this stuff as well. So I'm uh, what's the what's the key? I'm, I'm expanding my digital presence. You're a pundit, man. Oh God, right. Lord, Lord help you all. <laughs> all right, all you right. take care. I see you, man. Have a good see one. You. you too.